You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. If you think of it, the human heart is like an organic clock ticking out the moments of a life. We don't know what the number of ticks will be all total, but every human heart has a number. And as I come to this moment year after year celebrating the birth of Christ for some reason, the question that comes to my mind is, what time is it in my life? They say that at some point I'm going to have a midlife crisis, but I can never quite figure out when I'm supposed to have it. You know, I know halfway in my life, but how long is my life supposed to be, right? Uh, I know it's Y over 2, but I don't know how to solve for Y. So I'm still waiting. But the question of, uh, of what time is it in my life is not just a question of chronology. It's really a question of destiny. It's a question where we ask, where is this life leading? And where am I tonight on that journey? What time is it in your life tonight? I know it's a big question, but this is a big night. The good news is, as we ask this question tonight, we don't ask it alone. We have two conversation partners One is a teacher and the other is an apostle. We meet the teacher in the Old Testament in the book of Ecclesiastes, the one who speaks these words, refers to himself simply as the teacher. And we've printed a section from the book of Ecclesiastes in the bulletin. I want to call your attention to it, invite you to follow along as I read. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the teacher writes this, There is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die. Time to plant, time to uproot. Time to kill, time to heal. Time to tear down and a time to build. Time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Time to scatter stones, time to gather them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain, a time to search, a time to give up. Time to keep and a time to throw away. Time to tear and a time to mend. Time to be silent and a time to speak. Time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from all his toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on men. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Well, I just want to give you a little bit of a warning because this weekend, most of us are going to spend some time with friends and family. And you're going to be overexposed to what I call the when question. You know what I mean by that? When did you get so big? When did you start growing facial hair? When did you stop growing hair on the top of your head? When did you two meet? When are you going to find somebody? When are you going to get healthy? When are you going to choose a major? When are you going to get back to work? When are you going to retire? When are we going to be grandparents? When are you going to figure out what to do with the rest of your life? These are the when questions. And none of us likes being asked the when questions, but truthfully, we'd all like to have answers uh, to many of them anyways. It's because they're really questions about what time is it in your life? And when you hear these questions, you realize, they're questions about my heart. Tick, tick, tick. The insight here, I think, in Ecclesiastes 3, the teacher, is this. You don't measure time 
with a when question. You don't measure time with another unit of time. The teacher is trying to give us his perspective on time. It's our perspective on time. It's time as seen from underneath. He, he, he calls it under the sun, the way it looks to us. He seems to be making the point that seasons will come and go. They will be welcome and unwelcome. And they will inadvertently invert without our permission. And what we call time management is really just a conceit. We don't actually schedule life. We don't actually have to have a master plan for our lives. Perhaps we can't even have one. But what's so fascinating, if you look at the end of this section, he says this, that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Which I think means that whether we're in a time of mourning or laughing, we have a fundamental yearning for something more. Yearning for timelessness, for infinity, for eternity. In other words, time isn't measured in minutes, it's measured in meaning. If you can get a perspective on your life and step back, you can put the individual moments of your life into a larger frame, then you have meaning. So to know what time it is in your life, the teacher says, look for meaning. But how? Well, let's ask our other conversation partner, the apostle. He also is wrestling with questions of time. We meet him in the New Testament. His name is Paul. Again, we've printed the text, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Would you please refer to it as I read? The apostle writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I recently saw a New Yorker cartoon. It was an office scene, and there was a steaming time capsule in the background. And um, a man's future self was reaching around his present self to get to his keyboard. The boss stood in the background with a real surprised look on his face. And what the boss says is, you invented a time machine to come back and hit reply instead of reply all? <laughs> and if you've ever made that mistake, you know how devastating it could be, especially if you're talking about the boss when you hit reply all. But the point, I think, of the cartoon is that there, there can be one moment, a singular moment, that actually affects all the other moments to follow. Sometimes it could be just a really small thing that happens, like the birth of a child. What the apostle seems to be saying in Galatians chapter 4 is, while you don't measure time with a when question, you can measure it with a who question. You can measure time with relationship. And here he gives us a view of time from above. Notice he says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. This is as time as God sees it. It's as though we get this picture of God hanging over the edge of heaven with one eye on all of human history and another eye on a stopwatch, and he's holding back the Son of God, who's just so eager to go, and he goes, when the fullest of time, now! And he sends him to be born in human history. The apostle understands that time, that history climaxes with a simple small thing, but a physical birth. 
But we all tonight are here to imagine this moment when the Son of God wakes up in human arms and opens his eyes for the first time and says, Abba, which is, by the way, it's Aramaic for Papa or Daddy. It's exactly what Jesus would have said to Joseph. And for the first time, he says, Abba, not to the creator of heaven and earth, but to Joseph, a human being. Term of endearment and intimacy. But Paul goes on to suggest that the climax of our personal lives, our personal histories, is uh, not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth. It's when we wake up and open our eyes to our creator and we say, Abba, because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. The whole story of the Bible is a story of a miraculous birth. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, as soon as things go awry in Genesis, Genesis 3.15, first preaching of the gospel is the promise of a miraculous birth, a child who will end evil and death. And we at the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12, again, a story of a, a dramatic birth that ends evil and death. And in between, after this promise in Genesis, then, then everywhere, the, through the whole story, the ages and pages of Scripture, people are looking for that child. Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? That's why genealogies are all, all the way through the book of, of Genesis, um, the, the list of begats. They're going, is this the child? Now? 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 Is this the moment? Now? 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 Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In the in the womb, two twins are wrestling. Maybe I'll be the one. Pop out. Think about the babies all the way through. Think of Moses. Oh my gosh, they put the baby in a basket and let it drift down a river in Egypt. And there are babies that are born to unlikely parents because they're infertile or they're foreign or they've lived shameful lives. And no one would expect that through this in the fullness of time would come a miraculous birth that would change everything. No one would expect that someday God himself would be born into the human family and that because he was, we can be born into God's heavenly family. This is a brief history of time. God fulfilling every moment in order to point us towards Jesus, to draw us towards relationship with God through Jesus. This is what time is all about. This is what Peter, another apostle, says in 2 Peter 3, verse 8. He writes, but do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Jesus says the same thing. He prays to his heavenly Father that we would receive eternal life, the gift he came to give. And he says this in prayer, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, Father. See, relationship. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's not about when, it's about who. God in every season of your life, whether you're mourning or dancing, says to you, you know what this is all about? You know what this season is all about? I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to wake you up to who I am. Your creator who loves you with a crazy love. I want you to know who you are. A beloved child of the greatest king. So what a great night to ask. What time is it in my life? Asking myself these questions. What time is it in my life? And 
Where am I looking for meaning in this season of my life? Is my time running slow? Is it running fast? What does that tell me? Is my heart beating for eternity? Am I awake to the present? Is it time to flee to the distant country, or is it time to come home to God, my waiting parent? Is this night just about my Savior's physical birth, or is it finally also about my spiritual birth? Am I ready for the fullness of time? See, because in Jesus' day, they weren't ready either. No, Mary and Joseph were not ready for the birth of a child that came before the wedding. The innkeeper was not ready for another uh, immigrant in Bethlehem. Herod was not ready for a joy that would disrupt his rule, which is based on fear. The religious leaders were not ready for a teacher who would hang out with lepers and tax collectors and prostitutes. The Romans were not ready for a king who would rule not with violence but with love. And nobody, nobody, nobody was ready for one who would bring eternal life into the world through a dying God. But what does it mean to be ready for Jesus? It certainly doesn't mean that to start managing your time, to undo the past, or to control the future. We can't. And besides, that just all returns us to the when question. We start doubling down on when again. No. What does it mean to be ready for Jesus? It means simply to receive the gift. To receive the gift of relationship that God brings on this special morning. When the apostle talks, as he does here, about being redeemed and adopted, there's a thought picture. In the first century, it describes the great father of a household who does a very unexpected but generous thing. He buys you off of a slave block. He frees you from every obligation. He moves you into his own house, sets you up in his child's bedroom, gives you his name, all of his privileges, and a full share in his inheritance. That's grace. I have a friend who's ready. He's a lawyer. This week he sent me an email and he said, George, I have to admit I need help. I've come to the realization finally that the reason there's so much pain in my family is because of me, because I'm not able to control my temper and I have to do something about my anger. And I thought, wow, that is a pivotal moment in my friend's life. And you ask, where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. My friend would say, with Jesus, I know who I am, his forgiven, beloved child. And because of who he is, I now have the courage to face the stuff in my life that I really don't want to face. He doesn't know when, but he does know who. I have another friend who is a hospital administrator. It's two weeks ago, he took his family to Disneyland, and he had embroidered on his Mickey Mouse hat, brain tumor tour, because he's running out of time. But as he goes, he is showing extraordinary care for his friends and his family. It's a pivotal moment for him. And if you ask, where does that come from? He would tell you, with Jesus, I know who I am. His forgiven, beloved child. And because of who he is, I have the courage to live with eternity today, right now, and every day. What time is it for you? 
On a night like tonight, I know that there are many among us who are eager to embrace Jesus. I also know that there are many among us who are reluctant to embrace Jesus. And I think we have something that we might want to say to one another. Maybe you're reluctant tonight, but maybe you're with somebody who's eager. Perhaps that person's sitting right next to you. Maybe you came in here and you looked at that seat and you said, is this seat staved? And someone said, no, but we're praying for it. You know, do you have people like that in your life? (laughs) If you're reluctant, here's what you would like the person who's eager to hear tonight. You'd like that person to hear, I need time. I respect your faith, but I'm searching for meaning in my own life, and I'm searching in my own way, and I need time. I need time to learn who Jesus is, and I need time to wrestle with my questions and with my doubts. And I think to both of you, the apostle would say, God is patient. In the fullness of your time, he will find you. If you are eager tonight, and perhaps you have someone in your life who is reluctant, here's what you want the reluctant person to hear. Don't lose time. Oh, dear friend, when you understand how much God loves you, You realize you don't have to do this alone. He's with you every step of the way. He desires to fulfill your every desire. You can't do life by yourself and neglect the one who comes to give you abundant life. And I think to both of you, the teacher would say, God is faithful. He never sets eternity in a heart without the intention to fulfill it. But that first Christmas night, Mary, the mother of our Savior, holds this baby and can feel the pulse of God ticking in her arms. She can't possibly understand a fraction of what this birth would mean. (laughs) When she looks at it from underneath, she says, this is really, really bad timing. But when she looks at it from above, she says there's something inexplicably wonderful going on here. The Bible tells us she pondered it in her heart. She finds God in her arms and eternity in her heart. Let's close with the words from Mary's song, a poem written by Lucy Shaw. Blue homespun and the bend of my breast keep warm this small, hot, naked star fallen to my arms. Rest, you who have had so far to come. Now nearness satisfies the body of God sweetly. Quiet he lies, whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps, whose eyelids have not closed before. He, his breath, so slight it seems no breath at all, once ruffled the dark deeps to sprout a world. Charmed by doves' voices, the whisper of straw he dreams, hearing no music from his other spheres. Breath, mouth, ears, eyes, he is curtailed, who overflowed all skies, all years, older than eternity. Now he is new, now native to earth, as I am nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn. And for him to see me mended 
I must see him torn. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how humbly and beautifully you have bent low to gather us lost ones into your arms. On this night, we pray, we would yield to your heavenly love. Give us, through your Holy Spirit, the words to say, Abba, Father, we belong to you. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.